Good evening and welcome to our e-broadcast. I'm so glad that you have joined us on this Friday night and we are excited about the opportunity to speak to an individual who has had a great impact on not only our organization of churches, but also on me personally. And uh, I'm so happy to have Reverend Jerry Jones with us tonight. And let me give you a brief introduction about Reverend Jerry Jones, just in case you've never had the opportunity to know him or to be under his ministry. He was formerly a pastor in Louisiana and then became the uh, youth president for the United Pentecostal Church International, then pastored in St. Louis, Missouri, and then was elected for many years and served as the general secretary and treasurer for the United Pentecostal Church International, which is a religious organization of more than 5 million constituents, 42,000 churches, preaching points, and daughter works around the world. And now he has graduated to the role of professor at Urshan College. And he has been a leader of leaders and been a great friend, and we treasure and value his insight. And so we are very happy to introduce to you tonight uh, Reverend Jerry Jones from St. Louis, Missouri. Reverend Jones, how are you doing? We're doing well, Brother Myers. So good to uh, be here with you. I consider it a great honor to be part of this series. And, of course, to be with you, we, we've um, we've gone down the road together for a long, long time. And we've had a lot of great experiences. began together in youth work. And then um, as our ministries went on, we've... We've had occasion to be with one another. We just love and appreciate the Myers family, your mom and dad. We're just thankful for uh, what you do and the effect you're having, uh, not just there in in Florida, but around the United Pentecostal Church. So thanks for having me. Good to be here. Oh, it's such an honor to be with you once again. And I'm so thankful for your leadership and and your influence uh, in my life and my ministry. You were always there at critical times in my life and just a great example of a minister and a Christian and a person I've always looked up to and admired very much. So thank you for this opportunity. And we're talking about leadership this week. And of course, we're in the middle of this pandemic and you're in the role right now of training leaders, spiritual leaders. And let me just start out by um, asking you, where do you see us as a as a church right now in this pandemic, when you look at um, the biblical examples that we have and the principles that are laid down, and then when we look around and we see the culture and the climate that we're in, where do you see us as a church being positioned according to uh, biblical insight? Well, I, I, I believe that um, any crisis is, uh, um, is an open door uh, for the church to minister to uh, not only hurting people, but people who um, find themselves questioning life and why such things happen and and where is God when I need him? and Or even those who've, who've decided there is no God and then discover that science and and um, human knowledge and our best efforts can't conquer every problem. And I think it's a time of reevaluation for a lot of people, rethinking some things, maybe reconnecting with um, 
some beliefs and faith that they may have had in an earlier time in their life. So I think where we are positioned by the Holy Spirit is to be there, is while we go through the same things, we're not immune from the, the same challenges and dangers and and uh, the crises of others. Um, it gives us an opportunity to show faith at work, faith when it matters. Um, I was reminded um, a class I'm teaching right now of when uh, John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, um, failed as an Anglican missionary in the state of Georgia, then um, uh, the colony, and he was he was going home in defeat on a ship back to England, and the ship was caught in a horrendous storm, and there was there was fear, and even the sailors were uh, despairing. But there was a group of Moravian Christians who were on board that ship, and in the darkest moment, they were worshiping and praising and loving God, and and Wesley was so moved by their faith that in that time, not only in a physical crisis, but in a spiritual and an emotional crisis, he saw that real faith works regardless. And we're not we're not talking about the 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 healing, the health, the protection. All of that's part of it. But it's really that our faith endures and that our confidence and trust in God becomes an example that people can see and realize um, that they too can can be uh, benefited by a, a relationship with God. So I think sometimes we look for the spectacular application when in reality a constant and an unwavering faith and love of God is exactly what uh, God puts us in these positions to demonstrate. Yeah. You know, it almost, it almost seems counterintuitive, but we know historically when we look back that the church always seems to thrive in a time of crisis. It seems like it would be a, a sort of a bunker mentality uh, that would surround. But when we look at how the church has gone through persecution and we look at how the church has been under the, the glare and the, and the fire of opposition, that it seems like during those times... It really has not just survived, but thrived. Absolutely. And, and, and you see that being where we are now, another opportunity for us as Christians and, and us as a church as a whole to take the, the advantage of the moment that we're in and, and to thrive and not just survive. Absolutely. I'll, I'll be greatly surprised if um, when, when, the, when the danger has passed and church service has become available. I'll be surprised if there aren't folks sitting on the pews that we weren't expecting, that it won't just be the joyous return of the saints, uh, but there'll be people from the community that will have been touched by the quiet testimony of their neighbors. And um, that's been that's been the church's victory, unmoved, un, undaunted, keep worshiping God. I think I think even some of the some of the uh, controversy uh, of churches, some places they didn't want them to have drive 
in services and things of that nature. And the church has asserted itself to say that as long as it's safe, church matters. Church is important. And it's not just the preachers, but the people. Uh, it shows a hunger and um, that church is not a duty. Church is something we like. We want to be there. And we're we're online and we're we're communicating in every way possible and and our saints are finding the the fundamental uh joy of being part of the body of Christ of being part of the church and so i see it as a great opportunity and i think the church has stepped up and i think we're going to see god touch people's hearts through what we've come through what does it really say about the church and about Christians as a whole when we talk about their ability to adapt uh, so readily and so easily to the culture and to the climate? Is that a a representation of our leader, Jesus? I I think so, surely. I think um, he, in his ministry, he demonstrated uh, as well as taught and preached about times of crisis and when trouble uh, comes. And he showed a uh, one passage speaking of him uh, moving toward the final week uh, and, and, of course, the, the trial, arrest, trial, and crucifixion. The Bible says he set his face like a flint. Um, a, a flint is, is a very hard material um it it it, i think the the bible is is telling us that that the consistency and the focus and the the undaunting uh forward march in in the face of what he would famously pray his father that it would pass if possible but nevertheless thy will be done he knew what was waiting for him, but he showed us by example that faith triumphs and, and the purpose and plan of God is in the end for the best for the most people. And so, um, I think we see that manifested in the church that we're, our face is set. We're headed uh, to do the purpose and the plan and the will of God. And if we, if we have to go through a valley where church is, is over the internet for a while, well, so be it. We're still going to be there. We're still going to worship and in our homes lift our hands and we're going to join in prayer. We're going to, we're going to be touched by the message, the sermon. And, and I think, yes, I think, Jesus is the perfect example. Of course, uh, the book of Acts is, if nothing else, it certainly is the story of the onward march of the gospel carried by the people of God in the face of, of um, tremendous difficulty. But they kept going. Yeah. They kept going. Wow. That's so powerful and so true. You know, uh, Brother Jones, we've been talking this week about leadership and really what it means to lead during a crisis. And, of course, Jesus uh, is the greatest leader 
of all time. And I know that right now you are training leaders uh, as they go through college and seminary school. And really, when we look to Jesus, what do you tell your students are maybe two or three things that we can find in terms of being that, that true leader that we can find from the model and the example that Jesus gave us? Well, I, I think... I think a true leader in in time of crisis, and of course, um, this is this is an area of study that is almost inexhaustible. Yeah. Um, do 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 the times make a great leader, or do great leaders create the times? I don't know, but I do know that leaders. Um, never lose their their confidence they 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 shine forth if you will not brash and not self aggrandizing but what they do is they recognize that people um, in times of stress and problem they need direction they need they need a, a strong hand they need uh, someone who um, knows where they're going and knows what to do. Doesn't mean the leader has all the answers. That's not what I mean. But the leader still has a grasp of the big picture that this will pass. And while life may be affected, it depends on who you listen to. The, the most likely outcome of this pandemic is life will get back to normal. And we will carry with us into normalcy um, a recognition of how we did in crisis. And leadership can provide that steadying effect. Uh, don't panic. Um, don't live in fear. Um, exercise common sense. But don't give up the things that really matter. Don't don't allow a crisis to disconnect you Mm. from the people that matter to you and the people that you love and who love you. And certainly um, understand that when we get through this, um, the God that we serve will have proven once again that he is able to see us through, to finish what he begins in us. And, and to me, a leader has to keep um, that kind of, of message flowing, that um, understanding that people respond in very different ways. Um, some people don't need that steadying hand. Many, many people do need that. And a true leader has to recognize that uh, people need uh, a sense that it's going to be okay and we know where we're going and we're going to get there. And um, w- one of the blessings to me, I've got to drop in on a lot of friends' church services uh, through the week by way of the Internet. And and I would say that among our pastors, that's that's what I get over and over again. Not a panic, um, not fear, um, 
not even trying to read uh, end-time ideas into what's happening, not discounting those, but um, our pastors and preachers are projecting a sense of of calmness, of quiet faith, that we're going to go th- come through this. It's it's going to be fine. We'll be together again. Right here, I heard one preach the other day saying, um, right here in this building, instead of the handful that's here helping me now, there'll be all of us back here again. And I think that's vital for leadership at so many levels. I wish we could see it at every level of government. I think overall our our, the administration has done a wonderful job, um, particularly given the way the media handles things. But uh, I think we've gotten a message that if we do this, um, we'll come through. If if we sacrifice now, it will protect people and prevent further death and sickness. And I think that's how America has come through this. Do you think it's important in a season of uncertainty uh, for people to have a path, have a plan to follow that will sort of lead and cut through the fog and, and, and bring us out on the other side? Oh, yes, I think so. And I think, I think the problem is it's very difficult yeah. um, from a leadership point of view to project um, uh, the idea that that it, you know we're we're going somewhere uh in the early stages of a crisis i think this is a uh the pandemic here's a perfect example i think i think when uh when we began reading about it we began hearing about it um i think there was a lot of speculation on the part of political leaders this will be over in 2 weeks you know whatever um and certainly pastors, certainly spiritual leaders and, and, and leaders at, at a, in a whole different level of life. We didn't, we didn't necessarily get some divine revelation about how this is going to be. But when you, when you move with what's happening and you, and you keep that idea, okay, well, we'll factor this in and here's how we'll fit this in our plan. Right. But but you project all the way through. Yeah, now we're going to have to move here, but here's how that's going to fit in. And I, I think I think that's very important that leaders, while we have to be flexible in an in an emerging situation, we we have to constantly remind people, okay, we're not we're not throwing up our hands and panicking. We're just going to factor this in our plan. And I think you saw that happening very quickly. Um, I know it, at the college, we um, first imagined that we could continue having classes. And then we began to realize, okay, we, we, we need, um, we won't be able to physically have classes, but we can, we can continue to have on-campus students. And then eventually we knew that, no, we have to shut down the campus and migrate totally to online teaching. And at every step, our leadership uh, projected and, and we faculty members tried to project that to the students. 
um, that as the situation uh, was very fluid, so our decision-making was, but we have some big-picture goals that we're not going to abandon. We're not going to shut down. We are going to see you uh, finish this semester, and we're going to see the school move forward. And that's what's happening. I think businesses are doing it. I think, obviously, churches are doing it. The big picture is this thing won't win. We're going to come through this. Yeah, absolutely. I know that you're an avid reader and a, a student of history. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think I remember years ago asking you your favorite subject, and you said history. So I know you love history. But when you look back in history, what historical um, figures jump out as, as really leaders that were able to mobilize and to motivate during a time of crisis? Well, obviously, it is it is those times of crisis that um, distinguish uh, great leadership. I think um, beyond our own country, I think we see in someone like Winston Churchill, um, a leader with a very different background in a very different time from ours. And you can, and people do pick out ideas and beliefs he had that don't fit in our modern way of thinking. Mm -hmm. But you cannot take from him the incredible ability to invigorate a nation, to focus uh, a determination and allow um, um, a nation that should have collapsed, that by all historical precedent, they should have not been able to stand up to uh, the Battle of Britain and Hitler's initial uh, invasion plans and so forth. But because they were led by a a leader that um, had communication skills just beyond comprehension, beyond imagination, his ability to speak in ways that brought people to their feet and saying we will we, we will never surrender I think of course here at home the the almost stereotypical leadership of Washington and Lincoln um, the birth of our nation and the rebirth if you will of our nation and in the Civil War we saw we saw Lincoln who was more akin to Churchill because he could, he could communicate um, powerfully with people. Uh, Washington was not that type of leader, but his demeanor, his um, reputation that he um, had proved himself in battles and in times of stress and crisis and proved his leadership ability. People just found comfort in these leaders. They found um a sense that we can do this. Mm. And it, it came from uh, leaders in, in those times. Yeah. Um, I, I remember, um, I was trying to think the other day, um, I, I, I remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm. I, I remember 
my dad and uncle, his brother, talking about buying bomb shelters and installing them in the backyard. And I remember all the fear, but I also remember, I also remember my my dad taking courage from um, some of the things that were said by our by our leaders. And um, and then, of course, we all remember nine eleven and whatever political persuasion a person may be, there was something noble, something powerful about uh, George W. Bush standing there saying, this, this, this won't stand. This, this is not the end of the story. Now we get to say what will happen. And, and I think Americans, I think living through that time, um, you, you saw the reaction of an entire nation um, to the leadership that came in those times. And I think, um, I think we're seeing it. I think it's crucial that a leader once again have a firm grip on the big questions on, on what matters here and continues to, um, assure people that those, the big things are not, they're not going to be lost. We're, we're going to move forward and people respond to that. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, 9-11, and I remember that there was this fog of uncertainty um, the morning, the afternoon, the whole day of 9-11. They, they didn't know what had happened. It was very unexpected. You remember they shut down uh, all flights, and, and it was yeah. just uh, it was the uncertainty of what was happening that was so, that was so startling. But then by the next day, you know, we started getting our feet under us and then trying to recover and figure out a plan going forward. It seems like when we talk about this crisis that we're in right now, there's there's this fog of uncertainty with this invisible enemy, but it seems like it's more prolonged. And, you know, when I think about that, I think about in terms of every Christian that is attempting to serve God and live by biblical precepts, that there is this invisible enemy, as it were, that tries to uh, derail us from our faith, from our convictions, how we live our life, the choices that we make. What is it that we can pull from the from the surroundings that we're in now and how we can be successful long term to be able to defeat this this invisible enemy that all of us are Christians are trying to do, and that is sin? Yeah. Well, I, I think I think there'll be a lot of sermons preached, a lot of articles written, a lot of lessons taught that will draw that very parallel that you're talking about. That social distancing was our greatest uh, both weapon against and protection um, against these this invisible enemy, and and I. I think the idea of, of voluntary isolation and recognizing that, that there, there are places, there are individuals, there are circumstances that we've been taught to avoid. And maybe, maybe we were questioning, um, whether those things were the best policy or not. And, and maybe 
maybe as we begin to think about the only way to protect you and your family from such an enemy is to be aware, to recognize um, places and people and situations that um, greatly enhance the risk and that it is it is non-discriminatory it, it'll take i mean i'm i'm in that i'm in that age group i'm supposed to be really really careful but i've read of young people that it took yeah and um I I think you must draw a parallel. And I'm not saying the church withdraws from the world. That's not what we're doing now. Right. We're still in it. We're just not of it. We're I mean, we still go to the grocery store. I, I was at I was at Lowe's the other day. You could hardly get in the place. It was so full of people. The parking lot was full. People are tired of being cooped up. So where places are open. Of course, I told someone the other day, if it doesn't end soon, I will have remodeled my old house. I've painted and and spackled and and redone, and you know. Yeah. And evidently, that's what people are doing. We're still in the world, but we're learning the danger and how to um, protect ourselves from that danger. And when you equate that to um, the enemy of our souls, the, the the destroyer, the devourer, we realize that some of the same ideas that our fathers and forefathers taught us to um, protect yourself from. Don't, there's places not to go. There's, there's individuals you just can't, you just can't be part of. What fellowship hath light with darkness? And, and, and it's not a judgment on people. We're, we're not judging people who have coronavirus. Of course not. That's right. not the point. It's not about condemning someone else. Right. It's about protecting yourself and those you love. And, and it's not to somehow hurt them. That's right. where Christianity in modern times gets such a bad rap. They, they act like they think that somehow we're dangerous. We, that's not what it's about. When we preach about uh, separation from the world, for example, we're not talking about people in the sense that, you know, they should be locked up. That's crazy. Uh, that's not the point. The point is the Bible and the church has given us um, protections that if we follow them, we can make it through. And I think there'll be a lot of drawing that parallel in the weeks and months and even years to come. Yeah. You know, we were talking about historical figures, and as we look at it in the context of leadership, you know, that that generation that fought World War II uh, is considered the greatest generation. I think Tom Brokaw wrote a book about that. And that that great generation of sacrifice, and we all look and we admire that generation and what America was able to do and mobilize themselves during the Second World War is, is just amazing, and and all that that generation did. And then we look forward and we look at the generation, uh, even that's that's coming up uh, behind us, and you're uh, training and teaching students 
that are in their 20s. And there's something really powerful uh, spiritually about this this generation that's coming and uh, not really coming already here. And I remember a couple of years ago when you when you preached at that general conference and said, you know, you, you, you drew the parallel between the the generations and you said, you know, we accept the challenge. And, and here, you know, I remember sitting toward the front of of that building and these these young men and women coming over the chairs and storming the front of that and and taking on this challenge and uh, of courage and boldness and faith and authority and anointing it is just astounding but when when we think about the difference in the generations and how it seems like God equips them for the times that they're facing what does that really speak about the generation that that is now being prepared to face not only the coronavirus but I'm thinking going forward the other things that are going to come do you feel like God's giving them a, a special double portion for such a time as this yeah I, I couldn't agree with you more I I see what God is doing um, with the current generation and I'm uh, when I preached that sermon I had I had only had minimal contact with uh, the young people at our at, at our college, but um, I already had a sense, already had um, such confidence in being with these um, young men and women and their burden and their desire and their zeal for God. I knew there was something special about this generation. And you mentioned that service that night when so many came forward and accepted the challenge to uh, go further, not to accept where we are and be comfortable, but but to go forward, to grow, to see revival, to see the world affected, to see uh, things better because they lived. And, and I wasn't surprised that night. Um, I'd seen the signs. And now that I'm um, full-time uh, teaching at, a, at the college level and seeing these young people, and of course, even a little older folks that have, have taken time to either distance learning or even in person come back to college, I'm, I'm more enthused than ever before. And to your question, does God prepare a generation? Does God specially make a generation. I, I think, I think we have to accept that. You know, one of the, one of the recurring, uh, discussions in history is, um, the, the inexplicable clusters, they're sometimes called, of incredible leadership, able men and women that seem to, to come at one time. And the debate again is, did World War II create the greatest generation or was the greatest generation purposely chosen to deal with World War II? And uh, how do you explain a Churchill and a Roosevelt in, in the same generation? And, and for ill, how do you explain that with these two great leaders, how do you explain a, a Hitler, a, a Stalin, a Mussolini, men from the other side, Right. of the track and yet 
um, leaders like the world has seldom seen, and they all came. The time of the founding of our nation, mm. the, the, the fathers of our country, if you will, and, and the mothers of our country that rose to the occasion. They were remarkable men and women, and I think we're seeing another such generation. I think we're seeing another uh, greatest generation, and I think times will try them. I think they're prepared for the real issues that are coming, and they will be ready. And um, I, I'm comfortable uh, with the future that I see in this coming generation. Do you see, Brother Jones, and I know we're getting up against the clock here, but do you see that really um, this this church going forward and, and this pandemic, something that, you know, my parents are in their 80s. They said they never seen anything like this where a, a whole world literally shuts down, not just one nation, but multiple nations and and, and, and everything that's happened. Do you see this as just the beginning of things that are going to be unlike anything history has taught us, but really is the beginning of the end times? Well, I, I certainly believe that um, there's been nothing like this outside of the two world wars, uh, in my opinion. Um, for our country, there have been uh, times of, of great trial. The um, the civil rights movement and the connected um, social disorder um, it was growing pains. It was it in the end it 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 was hard to come through, but it was it made us better. And um, the anti-war movement against Vietnam, whatever you think about that, it was a it was quite a, quite an upheaval, riots in our major cities and so forth. I think I think though that there is a and I don't want to get political here, but right. there there is a conditioning that uh, has come with this. That uh, as an American, as a believer in individual liberty, I think we I think we have to be a bit worried about that. That we can be we can be trained, conditioned to accept um, circumstances. Uh, because we've d- done it before. Because, well, okay. Well, you're already reading articles that the COVID-19 will, will be back in the fall. And, you know, we may go through this whole thing again. And um, personally, I, I, I will be very surprised if that happens. I think medical science will progress. But then what comes next? And I think the more we're conditioned to... Um, to accept a change in a fundamental change in our country, in our liberties, I think, yes, I think that opens the doors to some of the uh, situations that are described in uh, Daniel and Revelation and other places in Scripture. And I think, I, I think if you, if, if you, paid attention through the years, even while we believed those and still believe those descriptions, um, 
we couldn't see how that could happen here. We couldn't see how the United States and England and and France and Germany and on and on, free nations, nations that value human liberty, how they could be part of some of the uh, end-time situations. But, but as you see, these kinds of things preparing us to think and accept and work in, in, um, in, um, in certain environments that are new to us, I, I think you have to think that, yes, this could be uh, one of the things we may point back to one day and say, you know, that, that's, that's when things begin to turn toward uh, more authority and more control. And that's when things were made possible. And maybe technology now has made possible, but governmental systems are not yet um, able to do those things. Right. But, but we can see we can see, and I, and I think I think yeah, I think you're right. I think I think we've been I think we've been in that uh, flow of time for many many years, and I think as we've seen our country lose its way culturally and um, uh, religiously and so forth, I think we're beginning to see how these things could happen wow. here. Wow, so powerful. You've been so kind and so gracious with uh, your time, Brother Jones, and we just can't can't thank you enough. I, I want to just um, sort of wrap up by asking you this question, and as you were talking, it just got me thinking as we go forward, and of course there's been a lot of discussion on what the new normal is going to be uh, as we hopefully come out of this. We talked about how that God has prepared a generation for such a time as this. We have the prophecy of Scripture. Uh, we have current events around us. We know that things are, are different than they used to be and will possibly always be different. What do you think, based on your vast knowledge of Scripture and history, what does the next five to ten years look like for us as a church and also us as a community and a culture of many different nationalities and languages. The next five to ten years, what do you see is on the horizon? Well, as I mentioned, I think um, nothing that happens does not change the normal. Um, Worldview theory and ideas uh, tells us that at the heart of every one of us, who we are, is determined by our story. That it's our story that creates our self-image, and that creates our convictions, and that creates our values, and that creates morals and activities. And so we are our story. And it, and that's true of individuals, but it's also true of nations and even of generations of the world. And And I think this is part of our story. And we are subtly changed. I think no one would argue that 9-11 changed our story as a nation and even as the world. And um, you can keep going all the way, far back as you want to go. Major events uh, turn the tide of the river a bit. 
It may almost be imperceptible. It may be a fork in the river. But we are the result of what happens to us. As the church, you made the point early in our discussion here that the church thrives in times of trial. People turn toward God when they sense a need of him. And I think the church is brilliantly by God positioned we have held on to uh, lifestyle religion we have held on to personal encounter religion we've held on to the principles of 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 loving and caring for one another and and we've held on to the principle of go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and and those things in and and not being not condemning again, but many of those things have been lost, and and those those branches, if you will, are at the end, and and they will die and fall off. But I think the church is has been just as this coming generation has been. I think the church is positioned. By God, there's one thing I know. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but God does. Yes. And and He's prepared us, and we're going to fulfill His purpose and His plan. Amen. All things work together to good to them that know the Lord, that are the called according to His purpose. So if we're in line with His purpose and we seek to know Him and walk with Him then we know that whatever happens, not only will we be ready for it, but it will be to the benefit of God's purpose in our lives and to ours in extension. So I think the church will continue to grow. I think the church will continue to impact not, not only the lives of individuals, but, but great swaths of people. Um, turning toward truth. I, I believe with all my heart that uh, this church, not and I don't mean a denomination, I mean a, 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 a Bible-believing, one God, Jesus name, whatever title, but I'm telling you, I believe those that have held on yes. to these biblical principles are not, um, they're not an afterthought. Right. We're not here by accident. We are here in the plan of God. And I think the greatest day of the church is yet to be. And I believe it's coming very quickly. Wow. Brother Jones, would you be so kind to just pray over us as we close out this session? It would be my honor. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for our friends. Thank you, Lord, for our brothers and sisters around this country and around the world. I thank you, Lord, for your hand of kindness and mercy extended to each and every one of us, that your purpose is being worked out, not only in us as the church, but in us as individuals. Accomplish your purpose. Do your work. It's your will that we seek, and it's your direction that we wish to travel. So bless us. Strengthen and encourage us. Let us deepen our faith. Let us trust you more than ever before. And let us understand that we're not here by accident. We're here because 
You scheduled us to be here. You planned on it. And you made it possible that we would know you. Now, bless your church. Let it be a blessing to the whole world. Let communities and neighborhoods feel the impact of the quiet faith of a child of God in their midst. Do your work in our world. Bless our president, our leadership, Lord. Let your work, I pray, be accomplished through them. Bless our country. Give us our economy. Bless those struggling financially. Bless those in the throes of this terrible disease. Give them recovery, I pray. Do your work. We trust you now. We lean on you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Praise God. You've been listening to Reverend Jerry Jones as he has ministered to us. I thank you so much for joining us, and I pray that God would keep you and your home and your family. May he cover you with his name and with his blood. And I pray that God always will be with you and bless you. God will bless you. We look forward to seeing you again tomorrow night as Bishop Myers brings to us the word of the Lord. God bless you in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord, everyone. I want to thank you for joining us here at East Wind Pentecostal Church. And we want you to know that if you'd like to be baptized in Jesus' name, we can do that for you today. We can do it here at the church. We have a baptismal here at the church. We'll even come to your home if you have a swimming pool. We can baptize you in your swimming pool. It's that important for us to help you to be baptized in Jesus' name. We also want you to know that if you'd like to learn more about the Word of God, more about the Bible, that we have experienced teachers that can come to your home, teach you a home Bible study. We can even do a video chat. Whatever works for you, we want you to know that we're here for you. Also, very important, if you need prayer, we have prayer teams that can come to your house, pray for you at your home, or you can even send in your prayer request here to the church. We just want you to know that we're here for you and that we want to do anything that we can to help you in these trying times with your walk with the Lord. You can visit us at www.eastwind.church and our phone number is 321-723-2030. God bless.